0: And uh, FYI, Tony is from Bucks County.
1: Where at?
2: Yeah. My family's in uh, Tullytown.
1: I am like literally three miles from Tullytown. Okay. I'm in Croydon. Oh,
2: okay,
3: okay,
1: okay.
2: Yeah, I, right. I mean, I grew up going to Croydon, of course. Yeah, there's a good Correct. place there when I was a kid.
1: I'm originally from Ben Salem. Got it. But I moved to Croydon, and I'm um, right by Neshamenei State Park, Croydon oh, Firehouse. Great. Of course. But it's, see, Disney had it right. It's a small world. Yeah, it is.
2: <laughs> well, we pay attention on our podcast. We pay a lot of attention to Bucks County because we, um, whatever way Bucks County goes in the presidential election, you can kind of tell where it's going to go. That's, That's been our right. bellwether. Really, yeah, yeah, we haven't we haven't really done the real research to see how far back it goes, but in my lifetime, it's pretty accurate.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's such a purple place you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we get a lot of attention and I guess rightfully so, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But it's a beautiful place to live. You know, not, not, not many people leave it because there's so many good things that are around here. So,
2: yeah. I mean, not many people leave at all, which is also part of the problem with it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you did, you did, yeah, yeah, I did. you but broke I did. free. <laughs> This is no politics at the dinner table. I'm Tony Biancasino, and I'm Amit Prakash. Today
0: we have on Bill Engel, who is a nurse who works uh, in Bucks County, um, your your home county, Tony. Damn right. Um, and he's with along with 800 other nurses just walked off the job last week, and we're going to hear why that is. Great, let's go. get started. Yeah, yeah, let's just just roll into it. Okay. All right. So um, last Tuesday, 800 nurses went on strike, about 800 nurses went on strike at St. Mary's Medical Center in Langhorne in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, um, represented by the Pennsylvania Association of Staff Nurses and Allied Professionals, also known as PASNAP. Um, And so St. Mary's is run and owned by one of the largest Catholic hospital conglomerates in the country uh, called Trinity Health that manages, you know, 90 odd hospitals and various other critical care centers and stuff like that. Um, and today we have on Bill Engel, um, who is a nurse uh, and is was part of this strike. Um, and so I wanted to just get right into it here. Thank you so much for coming on, first of all. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long have you been a nurse? Why did you get into it? Um, And then let's go from there. All
1: right. Yes. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you showing interest in our cause. Um, It's not only a cause of the nurses in Langhorne where we are at St. Mary's, but I think it's a more, we are a microcosm of what is happening across the country. Um, I've been a nurse since 1996. so have on 24 years. I've worked in almost every venue possible within the hospital. Um, I'm currently a nurse on a medical surgical telemetry floor called MG4. Um, uh, uh, and I forget... Um, I love being a nurse. I got into being a nurse. I'm not exactly, well, honestly, I got, I wanted to be a nurse because I'm fascinated by the human body. And I didn't want to be a doctor because they have no life. You know, (laughs) their families have a life, but doctors themselves do not, unless you're an emergency room doctor, because they come in and do shifts like us and then they leave. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be a doctor. So I said, you know what? I'll be a nurse. And it encompasses everything. And you get to spend a lot of time with the patients. Um, because, you know, when people come into the hospital, um, they're scared and they don't understand what it's going to happen. And I think one of the biggest roles for a nurse is to explain the unknown to the patient because there's so much, there's so many things that scare them and all that, that, you know, we need to, you know, the doctors come in for five minutes a day and explain things to the patients. And then the, they leave and the patients sit there and go, what the heck did he just say? So I look at the, one of the biggest roles nurses have besides being the, the eyes and the ears of the doctors for the other 23 hours and 55 minutes a day that were there and the doctors aren't, but Hey, look, you know, that's how it goes, right? Cause doctors mm-hmm. have other responsibilities. So the biggest thing I look at, we do is that we talk to patients through things. We explain things to them. Because I think once you can help explain to them what they're confronting and dumb it down, and that's not in a bad way. It's just like when I go to my mechanic or my uh, tax guy, he's got to dumb things down so I can understand it, right? And it's no different being a nurse. You know, We got to dumb it down so people can understand because they're scared enough as it is, but all that anxiety of all these different things that are thrown at them so I think that's one of the biggest roles that nurses play, and I frankly enjoy being able to teach people and help them understand.
0: That's really interesting. Um I never actually thought about a nurse as sort of like the way you're putting it as a sort of medical translator right that to sort of simplify things to make things digestible and just sort of explain the situation yeah oh. and make
2: you, and to make you feel like you're not such a wuss. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, it's not about being such a wuss. <laughs>
2: well, when I go in, I, I um I, I faint when I see my blood. So I have to go in and explain it to them. And I always feel like such a baby. And they always tell me, and there's a ton of people that do it. And then they talk me through it to make me feel good and right. knock on wood. It's been it's been a while since I fainted, but I also lie down and look the other way.
1: Well, so well, so do we. We don't look either when we do it. We just do it. We're so good, you know. Michael Jordan once made a foul shot um, uh, you know, with his eyes closed. So I figured if he can make a foul shot with his eyes closed, I can start an IV or draw a blow with my yeah. eyes. closed. That's you finding veins. Kidding. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So um, about this strike, um, yeah. From, from what I've read, this seems like a situation that predated the COVID crisis, but like everything else with the COVID crisis, it's been exacerbated by it, right? So could you just sort of paint a picture of what was going on with regard to management, um, staffing? What is the issue? Because, you know, obviously the strike is the large, pretty much the largest weapon a union can have. And they don't sort of use them sort of lightly. So Mm -hmm. could you just like walk us through what the controversy was and how it escalated to the point where there was felt there was a need for a strike?
1: All right, yep, no problem. Um, Trinity bought us back in two thousand fourteen, not only us, but five other hospitals around us. And um, you know, they're based out of Limbonia, Michigan, like you had mentioned earlier. Um, they're a huge nonprofit, and they came in and into our hospital, into our community, and a couple years into them being there. Uh, actually a small group of nurses tried to start a union then, but then what happened was there was really no appetite for it. So things just kind of went away and, and, you know, honestly, I was not for the union. um, The first time around, then a couple of years, we fast forward a couple of years. Wait,
0: Bill, can I pause you right there? Sure. Could you just explain why, what, what, what was it that turned you off initially?
1: It wasn't a turnoff, like there were changes occurring. But, you know, we are just a 378 bed, small community hospital Mm -hmm. in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, that Tony's well aware of. He cruised those streets back in the day, as he said. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I just thought that what was occurring was just part of the transition from being this singular small community hospital to becoming part of a larger corporate entity. That's how I envisioned it, right? So I'm like, okay, you know, like let's give this process a chance because as Tony can speak to people in Pennsylvania and in Bucks County were very parochial and we like to protect ourselves and, you know, hey, look, you you come in here, this is how we are, right? So that's really why I wasn't on board. I wasn't against unions, because to me unions are the last best way that the common man can step up legally and be a force against big corporations, whether it's in healthcare, business, wherever. That's right. how I look at the news. So, getting back, you know, so we tried, they tried once, I wasn't on board. A couple of years later, I continually saw what they were doing. They were cutting back on staff. People would leave through attrition and they wouldn't rehire. And it wasn't only just the nurses, it was, environmental services you know the housekeepers it Mm -hmm. wasn't pharmacy it was in the nursing assistants. it was just in so many different ways so i got on board because of joe and jim gentile they had been at the hospital for 30 some years they're like the grandfathers of the hospital um and i thought well look you know if they think something's wrong you know because in a hospital the nurses are kind of siloed off into their individual floors. So I was up at MG4 and, you know, nobody comes up there. I'm at the top of the hospital unless you have to be there. So I go off my floor to go have lunch and I go back up. So there's interaction, but there's not interaction within the hospital. Mm -hmm. Go into the OR all day long. They're in the OR. They come out for lunch. They go back in. So you really don't get to talk to a lot of people. So, I mean, you know, my world was pretty good. You know, Um, I couldn't complain too much. Um, things were getting a little crazier as far as, you know, not having enough staff and stuff like that. So I got on board and we started talking and, um, you know, come to find out other floors were feeling the same way. They were just seeing this progression of things. And, you know, they kept it quiet for maybe four or five months. And then it came out into the open. And um, you know, then we held the election in August of last year. Um, they hired union busters to try and stop it.
0: So, so when you're saying for the election, this is to join the union, right? This is...
1: Not to join the union. This is to um, say whether or not the nurses want to have the union represent them. Got it. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. So it's just the representation. Um, so right before, maybe in May of 2019, Trinity brought on board, uh, these union busters, yes and Associates. And wow, we fought quite a, um, quite a battle with them. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just about what that was like. I mean... Well-
0: can you give us a flavor? Like what, what, what do modern day union investors do? Because before they used to like literally crack heads, right? So what, what do they do now?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, they're mostly lawyers. So, you know, they're much more refined, you know, they right. don't want to get their suits dirty, their shoes dirty and stuff like that. So they use more conspicuous ways, you know. Um, the one perfect example was that unionization in Bucks County, at least within the healthcare system, has never been. It's been in the cities, Delaware County, as Tony knows, is on the southern side of Philadelphia. They're all union down there. Bucks County, they don't know how it works. And neither did St. Mary's administration. So one night, you know, we were, um, we were called, uh, we called it um, garage flyering. We have a three deck garage in, uh, connected to our hospital. And we had tables set up. And as people would come or leave work, we would give them information about the union, trying to garner support. So, of course, every time we did that, you know, security would come show up like, what are they doing? Uh, Administration would show up, you know, like at different levels. And of course, there was always a union buster in tow. So, um, because they have a solicitation policy, every place has a solicitation policy. And yes, then these guys knew that what we were doing was legal, but what they did was they had administration call the police saying, hey, they're breaking a solicitation policy. So here comes Middletown Township Police and they go, look, you guys got to leave. You can't do this. This is solicitation. It's not allowed, but because of their, uh, our hospitals and it's not their fault. Like I said, you know, Nobody really knew the rules. Like even when I came on board the union, I researched and found out what the legal rights that we had. And that was the hardest part about getting it going was because people are scared. Mm-hmm. Like, really? I can say no to the boss. I can be in the garage when we're not allowed to be. What do you mean? What, what are you crazy? You can't do that. But federal law says you can. And yes, and knew that. And I'm giving the administrators that were there that night the benefit of the doubt that they also were as ignorant. I, it, well, I guess ignorance a, a harsh word. Just underinformed. That's right. exactly what was going on. So I will give them the benefit of the doubt. So the police come and they too were underinformed. They didn't know either. So um, we left. I called the people from PASNAP, and there's a gentleman by the name of Tom Tosti who is the Middletown Township uh, Supervisor. He's a big AFL-CIO union guy, and he knew what we were doing was well within our legal bounds. So overnight, he put out a letter to the police, says, hey, they're allowed to do this. He not only did that, and we owe so much to Tom, because he still comes to our rallies and he was there when we had our strike. Um, he sent a letter to the hospital stating that, you know, according to the NORB, they are absolutely allowed to be in there. If you call the police again, obviously we have to come and, you know, because you call us. Right. But if it is the nurses in your garage, <laughs> we are not going to tell them to leave again. So then me and a nurse, Donna Halpern, we used to do what we call midnight runs. We would go into the hospital and again, it was very scary. We would go into the hospital and go around and talk to other nurses on the floors. And we did it at night because the suits weren't around. The yes in people weren't around um, because, you know, they would follow us and that's against the, the federal law as well. So they're just trying to
0: intimidate you, right? Oh, my
1: God, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it was our own under-information that allowed them to get away with that. And part of the reason, well, well, let me just finish this thought and then I can go down another road. But um, so we went into the hospital with flyers and on the one side showed a picture of us at the table, then talking to the police. And on the other side was the letter from Tom Tosti that he was sending out to the hospital showing our legal right, because we wanted to be ahead of them in the spin. Right. So, and we were very, very successful in that. And it kind of took people back like, wow, really? So, you know, part of the reason why I got involved in this whole thing was that, you know, being a male in a predominantly female field, that nursing is, you know, and most of the administrators are males. And in society in general, you know, it's the power brokers, the leaders. I mean, it's changing slowly, thank God. But, you know, it still is predominantly male-driven. And, you know, when I'm in work, I'm treated differently than the females are. I mean, it's just the way it is, let's just be honest. You know, the doctors treat me differently. The nurse practitioners treat me differently. The administrators treat me differently because I'm a man, I'm not a woman. I was raised by a single mom and I wanted to, because I'm a man, because I'm looked at as a certain way because the union always tries to pick the supposed leaders on different floors, you know, people had this this vision of me of being a leader. I don't look at myself like that. I'm just Bill, I'm here to do my job. And however people look at me, that's their perception. But I don't look at myself that way. I stay very humble. So I got on board because I wanted to help fight this fight because I knew that you had to have men do this because just the way things stack up. So I'm, I've am i always been for the underdog. Rocky is one of my favorite movies of all time. Amen. You know, yeah, there you go. My brother, Tony, over there. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but you know, that's part of the reason why I got on board was just to be a force because, you know, in nursing, see, and they play that against us too, you know, in nursing, you know, you know, it's a very much a psychological game they play too. Right. It's like, you know, we're very nurturing and kind and all those types of things and which we are. Um, and they know that we will feel bad if we leave our, uh, fellow nurses short on a certain day of work. You know, they play into psychological factors and that plays into like, you know, they don't have to meet certain expectations with staffing because they know if they put the call out, you know, they'll be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I, I got to go help my patients. I got to go help my comrades. You know what I mean? But sometimes you got to take a stand, you know? And I mean, look, I'm not disparaging people who aren't able to do that, but you know, I just felt as though, you know, I guess people saw something in me that I'm just starting to see myself. And I just wanted to help them be brave.
0: So you, there's so much in what you just said right now. I mean, <laughs> I one know. Thing, one, really no, dirty, no, man. It's, it's, it's fantastic.
1: No, 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 no. You're <laughs> gonna turn me off. We'll be yeah, at yeah. four o'clock, you'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> the hell am I gonna no, do we're,
0: with we're, this? We're 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 gonna go down many roads here. So, but one one thing <laughs> that I just gleaned from what, what you said is that in the beginning it's a, it's a tall order to sort of create this solidarity because you guys are so siloed, right? Right. That, that, and then so hence you got to go in and midnight runs and, and, and do these things. That's like really kind of the hard work. And then the other thing is that you're talking about this sort of entrenched sexism where there's this, even though this is, as you point out, this is a mostly uh, female dominated field, the because of perhaps because of that, uh, and indeed because of that, there's sort of less respect and less power accorded to these people who are like running the hospitals. Um, So one thing that sort of comes up is that what if those things are already there, right? So there's these sort of attrition with staffing, they're not replacing people, the levels of care going down. Um, What was the tipping point? What what made you guys walk off and say, no, we have to, we have to strike.
1: Oh, wow. Well, all right. So we won the election and we started bargaining with them last October. And we were making pretty good progress, but you know, a first contract's a tall order, you know, it's a very, very tall order because you're starting from ground zero, but we're part of a mid Atlantic Trinity. It's a group of five hospitals. And Mercy Fitzgerald was also uh, a unionized hospital within our five hospital um, mid Atlantic region. And um, uh, so we were good, we had a template. So that made our job a little bit easier than if we were just still standing on our own. So we wanted to use that as a template. And that really did help us move. But then COVID hit. And when COVID hit in March, we're like, all right, we gotta stop because that first round of COVID, man. When I talk about that, I mean, even in this day. Man. Sorry. No. But that wasn't rough. Imagine. No, no, that was a rough thing. Um, so we had to stop. And then around July, when things kind of lightened up here, uh, we reached out to Trinity and said, okay, let's get this ball rolling again. So we met with them again and um, the progress was much slower the second time around. Um, But they changed negotiators too. You know, we had uh, John Schwartz the first time he will, he actually worked for Trinity um, as their VP of, well, he still works for them, but uh, as their VP of uh, Colleague Safety and Relations. So that's what we did from October to March. And then when we came back in July, they hired Mike Tears from a local law firm here. And um, he had worked with the Mercy Fitz contracts. So like I said earlier, we had used their contracts as a template. So it only made sense to get somebody who had worked at that, contract before because they've been a union for close to 20 years
2: right
1: um so it just made sense to have him come on board but he was a different animal um you know john schwartz i think was more vested because he actually worked for trinity uh mike Tierce, being a lawyer hired by trinity he had no stake in the game you know his employer said okay you know This is kind of what we're trying to do, whatever that may be, you know, and he just worked for them. There was no long-term ramifications for him. With John, he was going to be there when the dust settled. But with Mike, he's just going to go away until the next time the contract comes around, right? So we kept meeting with them. And then, you know, always the last thing you settle with is salaries and benefits and stuff like that. That's always the last thing. So we had gotten through a lot of our, there's like 31, 32 total articles of this, uh, contract and we're down to like the last three or four. So, uh, a week ago, Thursday, we had a marathon bargaining session and, um, it went from nine o'clock in the morning on Thursday until three 30 in the morning, Friday, wow. so eight, 18 and a half hours. Wow. And they gave us a wage proposal. And you know, part of the problem is is that, you know, we lost, we have lost 243 nurses over the last year, year and a half. Just because they come, they stay for a couple of years, and they go to Princeton Medical Center, which Tony can attest to is 15 minutes up the road from us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Capital Health has a hospital in Hopewell which again is just above you, are right over to Scudders Falls Bridge, uh, Tony, off of 95. It's right off of 95. Again, it's 10 minutes. They offer their nurses five, six, $7 more an hour. Their benefits are better. So they were trying to paint us as being um, greedy, uh, just wanting the money. And we're like, look, if this is what the market bears, I mean, we don't set the market. You know, The market's telling us, And these are numbers that they gave us, that 243 nurses left. And they went to these hospitals and Abington and other hospitals, but those are the closest. And it's important because their demographics are the same. The reason St. Mary's makes so much money, which is north of $40 million a year in profit, we're one of the most profitable hospitals, not only in southeastern Pennsylvania, but the whole state of Pennsylvania, is because of our payer demographics. You know, we live in an affluent area. People have insurance, unlike the, the city hospitals and the rural hospitals where, you know, they rely upon a different payer mix. So Princeton and Capital are great hospitals to compare us to. I mean, you know, since Trinity bought us, they have extracted literally, literally hundreds of millions of dollars from our hospital. And they have told us flat out that they sh- share that all the money in mid-atlantic is kept within mid-atlantic that's what they tell us so there's mercy fitzgerald there's m there's saint francis and With there's those five hospitals that make up this mid-atlantic we have no problem with them sharing this money with the rest of these hospitals because a lot of them are in the city their payer mix is different and they don't make nearly what we make but when you don't reinvest in us and the nurses in our community, and by you not doing that, I have to leave work feeling horrible for the things that I couldn't do, then that's a line in the sand that us nurses go, we're not going past this line. This is enough already. So as we saw things coming, to to go backwards a little bit, you know um to keep the ball rolling pat snap told us that there was this pressure campaign that we could put on them it was a pressure campaign you just keep ramping it up ramping it up and you know as we went along and you know trinity was trying to say oh this isn't the right thing to do the truth in the end kept coming out that we were right in what we were saying you know that we were speaking the truth um so we got to the point to where after that bargaining session and their negotiator, Mike, he said, look, you know, these decisions are coming from the highest levels of Trinity. He told us he had a meeting like we are now, this Zoom type meeting, Squadcast meeting with uh, a gentleman by the name of Slabowski and Hodge. Uh, I know Mr. Slabowski is the CEO of all of Trinity and I believe Mr. Hodge is the COO maybe of all of Trinity. And he said, look, this is all you're getting, that's it, end of story. And this is 3.30 in the morning, and there's 20 of us in this room who've been here for 18 and a half hours. But because we're doing a Zoom, we allowed other members of the hospital, the nurses, if they wanted to, to join in to see for themselves how the process works, right? Ms. is very transparent. You know, it, It's all out in the open. We're not hiding nothing. We had over 50 people at 3.30 in the morning listen to this. Wow. And to a nurse, they all said, that's insulting. That's insulting. Like the numbers really don't matter. I'd rather not share the exact percentages. Sure. But we knew that it was not going to be enough to stop the bleeding of nurses from our hospital. And they came back and said, well, we've hired 266 nurses. Okay. But through our research, it costs about 40, $45,000 to 40 or $45,000 per nurse to orient them and get them up to speed. Multiply it by 263. I'll save you the math because we've done it already. It's north of $11 million that they've spent replacing the nurses. And our whole end game was like, look, if you would have spent this in the beginning, you wouldn't be spending it now. And you could have used that money to prop up our salaries, prop up our benefits. Like, look, nurses are like teachers, right? We don't get into these professions to become millionaires. It's a vocation. It's a calling. It's just something inside of it that says, hey, I want to do this. But again, I need to reiterate, if the market bears, I don't set the market, right? The market around me sets the market. So if I know if we need to make X amount of dollars more to keep our nurses and stop losing them, don't call me greedy, okay? Call your other CEO buddies and say, hey, how are you paying them more money? And you're not willing to. That's a discussion they got to have in the boardroom.
0: This is all the problem with these boardrooms is that they are very much of this logic when it comes to their own salaries. Like we need to have a competitive salary. Otherwise we're going to lose our CEO. You know, uh, we need to up this, that, and the other, but that is that often too.
2: on the, on the backs of, of, of the entire organization. Um, well, it's also funny because we're, yeah. you know, speaking of COVID, we're we're living in a time now where if you haven't appreciated, especially nurses before, yeah, you know, certainly. there was a, during the, during the stay at home order, there were, Multiple cities, people ringing bells and clapping for nurses. And now this is the time you're going to choose to screw the nurses over. It doesn't seem very wise to me when, you know, Trump's playing golf, Senate's on vacation, you know, millions of people are being evicted, losing their jobs. And let's be real, this after Thanksgiving, because everybody's a knucklehead, this hospital is going to get packed with people who get COVID again. And this is the time you're choosing to start a war with the nurses. It's just so shocking to me. It's disgusting.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, but you know, they just don't care. Right. Cause like, you know, even though we're a healthcare facility, the people running it, treat it as a business. So you can piss off and downtrodden people who work in, and it's nothing against people working in warehouses or like work at Amazon and all that. Right. I am not disparaging them, but if they're upset, unhappy and, you know, mad, when they go do their work, it's inanimate objects. Of course, it's, it's widgets, it's boxes, it's whatever. But when you do that to us, these are animate objects we're looking at, and they can see that. We can try and hide it from them, but we can't do it because they're animate objects. They are somebody's mom, dad, brother, sister, you know. Um, You know, you spoke of the salaries. I mean, they shared with us one of their 990s. 990s, for people who don't know, they are like our, you know, uh, uh, tax forms that we fill out as individuals for a nonprofit. They're called 990s. That's what they turn into the IRS. So they shared one of theirs with us. You're able to go on to the IRS website if you have something called their EIN number, which is a nonprofit's uh, tax identification number. And we found ones from a year prior. And when we compared the two, we found out that our CEO, or the president of our hospital, has gotten 45, 50% raise over the last couple of years. We found out that the CEO of Mid-Atlantic Trinity had gotten a 20% raise we found out that one of the lawyers of local Trinity where we're at in this region has gotten a 76% raise because within these nine nineties, they have to list the top 10 highest paid employees. So, I mean, I can, I can spout numbers, you know, like the uh, CEO of, Midland Trinity, now this is total compensation, right? And that's a whole other story, okay? Because they have a salary, they have deferred compensation, they have this, they have that. But we just go by the bottom number because if that bottom, you know, that final number goes up, it doesn't matter how it is, it's, it's eventually right. going to cost the corporation money. So the CEO of Midlander Trinity makes just under a million dollars. This lawyer went from like 250 to 575 a year, The CEO, now, truth be told, he went from being the chief medical officer to the president of the hospital. His salary doubled close to $600,000, you know. And and by the way, the lowest paid person within that office suite is the CNO, who's a woman who has always been the weakest weakest link within that that arena of play, Mm -hmm has always been the CNO and she's supposed to be our leader. I would never want that job. I like our CNO and I know she's gone the bat because when we, when I reached, I literally did a video in front of the hospital back in March during the first COVID and she stood next to me and I made a plea to our community that we needed PPE and she stood right there with me. So kudos to her for doing that.
0: So did you guys not have a Obviously you didn't have enough. Is is that, is that on Trinity to provide that?
1: Well, I mean, look, I mean, you know, um, the Obama administration had told people to get ready for something like this. Right. And um, you know um, at that point, all right. So I always try and dumb things down and make things simple. My motto in life is kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, right? That's kind of my motto in life with everything. So um, so in the beginning, the CDC was going back and forth as to need to wear a mask, didn't need to wear a mask, all that. All the nurses were saying, like, look, if we're going to be this close to this thing, I don't care what the fight is. I want to wear a mask. I don't care if it's aerosol or droplet, which is just describing the size of the particles and how long they last. Well, look, I'd rather err on a side of caution while the scientists figure it out, because guess what? I am as far as I am from my computer right now from my patients. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a chance to take that risk until you figure it out. Like the rest of society can, you can lock it down, but I'm this close. Okay. So look, I'm going to err on a side of caution. And, I, we just simply refused not to be allowed to wear it, but they weren't giving it to us. So we're like, okay, well, because it's like, we're following CDC guidelines. Okay, you follow what you want, but you're not at the bedside. Mm-hmm. And they even said, our president of the hospital said, we're not going to be rounding because we can't afford to get sick because we're running the hospital. Well, that's a nice way to be a leader, Right. <laughs> Okay, you're going to go hide in your suite. All right, good, good. You do that, dude, okay? But I got to be all up in these people's grill, okay? So I want a mask. So we reached out. I was, uh, I was in my garage on a Saturday. I said, look, I got to do something because, you know, we got to protect these nurses. It goes back to why I said I got involved in all this mess to begin with, right? Was I'm just about protecting nurses, being an advocate for the patients and all that. So I stood out in front there. And they stepped up like you couldn't believe. We got over twenty thousand individual pieces of PPE from our community. Not to mention that we they brought us food, restaurants, people baked foods, people started sewing clubs to make cloth masks. I mean, our community stepped up for us in ways we never would have imagined. And again, you know, that's why we went on strike because, you know. We want to give the care that our community deserves to get. Now, on my floor, like I said earlier, I, we're going to med-surg floor. A normal ratio is four to five to one. Occasionally, back in the day, you might get six, but that was a rarity. Now, while I can't call it the norm, it's becoming less and less of a shock that we walk in and have six or seven patients. And then that forces us nurses within our own day to have to make decisions on the fly. Do I change this poor elderly man who's laying in a diaper because he's demented and he can't do them for himself? But wait a minute, I got five other patients. I got to run over here and give these meds. I got to give an antibiotic that's due every eight hours. It can't be late because they hold us accountable for this kind of stuff, right? So as you increase the workload on the nurse, these decisions have to be made. And then, like I said earlier, they not only cut back on us, the nurses, we were just the strongest ones and able to form the union and get our message out there by striking. But there are other people that you cut back housekeeping, the nursing assistants, the unit clerks, the pharmacy people. We have to pick up a little bit of that slack as well, because they're all part of a patient care dynamic. So, you, every little thing that you do, even our documentation, when I first started a nurse, we were just write every couple hours, you know, no change in patient condition. Now we do a voluminous amount of documentation, and most of it is just so they're able to get reimbursed. So I'm not saying it's Trinity's fault for that. Our government has set up that system, and they just need to do what they do to abide by the system or they won't get paid. And hey, look, they got to get paid, and mm-hmm. or we wouldn't exist, right? So I'm not trying to blame them for that, but I can blame them for not bringing the people on board because every little piece that's missing, we the nurse have to make up for that. And that's why we went out there. We were just like, this is enough. We're a profitable hospital. We didn't ask them to come into our community. We didn't ask them to buy us. You just need to reinvest. Because like I said earlier, we bled nurses. You had to rehire. You're gonna spend the money anyway. Spend it in the beginning. And we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because we wouldn't have gone on strike. We probably wouldn't have unionized. But right. they don't see it that way. We're a spreadsheet to them.
0: Man, all right. Well, it's <laughs> it's good to, it's good to hear that the community came through. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm wondering, like in terms of politics, right? That what was the response of local politicians, statewide politicians, and then I don't know if it goes up all the way to um the senators and so on but but was there a response did they did they take a position you already said that there was the 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 county commissioner was was crucial um but other people along the way
1: um yeah um uh well all local policy right because the community has been behind us even though it's COVID. because some people are like well how can you nurses leave the patient at the time of covid You want to know why? Because our community knows that this has been an ongoing fight. We didn't choose to leave at this moment. We knew that the second wave of COVID was coming. We knew it. And we were imploring them, please bring nurses in so we can care for these patients. Please, please.
2: Well, it's also that you're literally risking your life going in, which is not necessarily part of a nurse's job every day is to potentially bring something home that could kill their family. Right. So, (laughs) right. I mean, this is the time. Yeah.
1: But we don't look at ourselves as heroes. We just look at ourselves as this is the job we did. This comes with the turf. Now, some nurses in the beginning of the first wave of COVID, they left. They're like, I'm not, I'm not taking the risk, but I'm ex military as well. I'm well-trained at what I do. And I just knew that if I just followed what I know to do, that I will be safe and sure enough, here I am still talking to you. Because taking care of COVID patients is very labor-intensive. You know, it's v- like it almost doubles the amount of work you need to do. Um, so yeah, so our community knew that this has been an ongoing fight. And that's why they supported us through this strike we just got done. The politicians knew this as well, because we kept them informed. They have had our back all along. And it's not only the local state representatives, the local state senators. We have Brian Fitzpatrick, who was a, US, a, US, a member of the US House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. He came and spoke on our last day of the strike. Um, uh, uh, the governor's office has put a call into the hospital uh, the attorney general of Pennsylvania has put a call into the hospital. Uh, Casey, one of the two senators has put a call into the hospital to say, look, you know, get this settled, you know, get this done, get these people what they need so they can care for the community. Because right. when we started all this, like I said, it was a pressure building campaign, right? So, you know, we put around a strike petition, to get the uh, people on board to possibly have to do this. So we put on a strike petition, and then we took a strike vote, and we won that eighty five to fifteen., uh, so then you know, so when we went into this last bargaining session, we knew we had with us the ability as voted on by our members, because you know, we don't have an elected president, vice president yet of our union, okay? But there's people like me and and many others, who have kind of taken leadership roles. And, you know, so they look at us in that light. So we knew we had in the back of our pocket, if we needed it, that we could authorize a 10 uh, day notice. Cause in healthcare, you need to give a 10 day notice to enable them to bring in the strike nurses. So we knew we could do that. And Trinity knew that. That was part of the pressure that we were trying to put on them, right? And at 3.30 in the morning, Having knowing that, and they still did that to us, and they were unwilling to budge. And he told us, Look, you can go on strike, and when you come back, it's not going to change. Okay, but that's coming from people in Michigan. Like, I don't fault Mike Tears, and our CNO is in on these two. So is our head of human resources, Dana Riggs. She's a great woman. So, what's yeah. the
2: status now? What, what is the status today? The status on strike still?
1: Uh no, on uh, um, we were on strike. Well, we were actually on strike for two days. Got it. That's the other piece. We put in what's called a unconditional two-day strike, which means we started at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday and we wanted to come back in at 7 a.m. on a Thursday. But when healthcare people hire these strike nurses, they have to do it in increments of five days. Mm-hmm. And I have only learned this myself from the people from PASNAP. I mean, it's not like I'm just walking encyclopedia of nrb and how this stuff works. I've never gone through this before. But um, so, um, so when we put it in, the hospital started with a narrative. Well, like, you know, if you want to come across, you can come across, call first, and we'll see if we have work for you. Well, nowhere in my nursing career I've ever had to call before coming in on a scheduled day because guess what? You're going to need me. That's why I'm scheduled, right? Because Trinity could never use the narrative of lockout because if they did, we only wanted to be out for two days and, you, and they did. They locked us out for longer than we wanted to go out for. And why did they do that? Because they spent multiple millions of dollars on these strike nurses. See, there's only been two times when the hospital actually put money into extra nurses in the hospital. Two times. It was right before the strike vote last year in August. They brought not only agency nurses and they flooded us from outside agencies, but they also brought them from their other hospitals within the Mid-Atlantic Trinity. So we were stepping over nurses. Mm -hmm. After the vote, crickets. And this whole time, and this is before COVID, because this is last August of 19, we're saying we need more nurses, we need more nurses. Then COVID hit, then holy Christ, you know, we survived that. And we're still saying nurses, we need nurses, we need nurses. And when did they spend money on nurses again? When we went out on strike, right? So it's whenever it is for their betterment or what they think is their betterment, they're willing to spend it. But when it's for us and what we're crying out for, crickets, man. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're back at work. Yes, I was actually back the day after the strike. I went back in. And it was so good to be back. It was so good to see my manager and the unit clerks and the aides and to see my patients. It was great to be back. Well, like you said,
2: people aren't getting into nursing to... You know, have four or five houses and millions of dollars. You, I'm sure you missed it when you were gone. Um,
1: Well, I was going to fly my private jet that boat. Exactly. Exactly. I decided, you know what? I better stay close to home.
2: (laughs) So let me ask you one last question. Um, Before we kind of wrap it up, we do have Thanksgiving coming up, we have Christmas. Um, As somebody that's a frontline worker that's seeing the, devastation firsthand with (laughs) COVID-19 what's your message to people as we go into the holiday that um, maybe are feeling sorry for themselves that want to go have a big holiday or kind of push push the boundary of what's safe from it from a nurse who's who's Uh, been there since day one (laughs) because no one listens to me (laughs) and
1: I don't want to choke up again
2: that's all right Take your time.
1: <sighs> oh, man. I wrote something that I shared on Facebook. It was called 50 plus days. I wrote it on Mother's Day. Um, and it was just explaining what we've gone through. Because in that six weeks from March when it started to when it finally started to let up, we had over 100 people at our hospital die, patients die. We had never seen that kind of death before. At least I have it. And I've been a nurse for 25 years. And, you know, in the end of that, I wrote, you know, like for those who don't believe that these are just numbers to you on a page. From a person who's been there, it's real. It's cut into our psyche so bad. You know, it's just more cuts into our physical and emotional psyche. You know, we don't want to see a return to that. I mean, it was... (laughs) These girls at MG2, I mean... They took the biggest hit. They, man, they lost like, I don't know, 50, 60 people died on their floor in a matter of six weeks. And we don't lose, I, I mean, our numbers of deaths in there, you know, are very minimal. because once you get into a hospital, it's actually very hard to die, because modern medicine's gotten so very good that you really have to work at it. I mean, truthfully, it sounds funny but you really have to work to die but you know covid was such an animal we understand it better now but at that time it was such an animal that you know we knew that putting them on ventilators didn't do any good we know now it's a disease of the vascular system and that's you can probably have a scientist on to explain it yeah but npr had a good article on that so they stopped putting people on ventilators because it wasn't going to do any good. And these people are 80, 90 years old. So just so many of them just died alone. They just beat them girls up so bad. Mm-hmm. They just beat them up so bad. I mean, all of us have PTSD from that. So to answer your question, if I had to tell people like, look, you know, you may not think it's real. And you might want to take the chance that it's not going to affect you enough to where you may die. But it's going to affect some people, and then we're going to see them. You're not going to see them. They're going to be numbers to you on a page, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be more digs into us emotionally and physically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just don't know what people don't understand, you know? And I blame it a lot on this administration because they politicized it. There's a reason why other countries have come out the other side already, because, you know, you look at society as a whole. You know, what do we do for the betterment of society as a whole? You don't delineate it between, you know, white, black, color, Republican, Democrat. You know, when you are in the position that these people are in, you need to look at it as what is best for society. And the countries across the world who are able to, who have gotten through this better than us, that is why they've gotten through better it. Because they put all of those other things aside mm-hmm. and said, what do we need to do for the society right now, there was no delineation. There was no division and they make the right calls that way. But this country has not. So please stay, do a zoom like you do now. I know it's not perfect. You know, see them from a distance because you can be asymptomatic with this and unbeknownst to you, you can give it to somebody in the grocery store or somewhere else. And you don't even know that you've done this, but this is real. And, you know, yeah, the vast majority will be okay, but the ones who aren't, we're going to see them again. And I don't want to see them.
3: I just Uh, don't.
2: Well, Bill, I, uh, I appreciate you saying that. It's, (sighs) it's, I, 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 I have no, I cannot even imagine what you all go through. Um, you know, I think we could all do a little better. And I, you know, I hope you find a way to have a decent holiday. I hope you stay safe. And I hope.
1: I'm actually day... working, so.
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm <laughs> working
1: Black Friday too, so I can't even go shopping. But my wife will make up for that.
2: Well, I, I hope that when when one day this hopefully is over that you also and, and all of the nurses and doctors and people who probably will have PTSD. I hope you all get what you're going to need when this is over, because I I can't imagine you just get to snap a finger and everything's normal for you all.
1: No, I mean, you know, time heals all wounds, right? I mean, I lost my parents by the time I was in ninth grade, but now I'm 40 years out and believe me, there is a way to get the other side. I mean, sure. you know, we will all get to the other side of this, you know, I mean, but thank you for that tone. You know, like we'll all get through the other side, but it's just going to take time. But we just keep delaying it by not handling it properly. So just please, just, it's real. It's there. Just stay home. Just just stay home. Just keep your distance for a little while longer. That's
2: it. It's not that hard.
1: And yeah, it's really not. It's really not. not. And take it from somebody who's, on the inside walls of those hospitals. Yeah. If you want to come take a walk with me sometime, come on, I'll show you.
2: Well, Bill,
0: Bill, thank you so much. Yeah.
1: Um, no, thank you.
0: No, no. This is this is incredible to hear um, all of this. I mean, this is I mean, not only are you going through the trauma of, of dealing with all of these patients who are, who are <sighs> tragically dying, you're also having a fight with your employer. I mean, I mean, it's 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 so much stuff to sort of deal with at once. And what it seems like, it's a really great story, because there are some silver linings here um, with uh, the community support, the political support that you're getting. And I hope that sort of unified front, you know, gets you what you all deserve. Indeed.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on this is The other side is the media, you know, is podcasts. You know, we were on CNN, we were on MSNBC, all these different programs, you know. Um, And I thank PASNAP for that, you know. I mean, a lot of people want to disparage the unions and say, you know, I had a meeting with our CEO in the beginning of all this. And he said, oh, the union's just a business. But I said, no, man. I said, look, you know, we're two years into this fight with them and we have not paid a dime yet because you don't start paying dues until the contract signed. These people on, with PASNAP, they're altruistic. They're just trying one one place at a time to lead people up and out. That's the only way is through unions. And that's why you fight back so hard. You know, I mean, that's why they hired the union busters. like, why would you spend millions? You know, like follow the money. The harder somebody fights against something, it probably means that they're going to lose something on the other side. Yep. And that's exactly what we've been facing. But look, we're just going to keep doing it. We haven't heard from them yet. We're waiting to hear from them. Um, We'll reach out to them, but it's the week of Thanksgiving. We haven't heard from them about further bargaining dates. But um, hopefully we'll hear from them soon. And we'll be right back at it.
2: Indeed. Great.
0: Well, thanks so much. We're going to follow the story. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible everything you're doing. So thank you so much. Hang in there, man. Appreciate you.
3: I will. Thank you. Let me tell you about Bristol Township. It's a wonderful township in Bucks County, Pennsylvania in the United States. Oh, yeah, it's very good. Township has got a lot of really nice people living in it And they're all such wonderful people I like to go there and walk all around Say hello to all the nice people Oh yeah, Bristol Township What a wonderful Pennsylvania place It's located right near Tullytown and Middletown Oh, my goodness, Bristol Township has got a wonderful local government. People working so hard to make sure that Bristol remains a wonderful township. Oh, yeah, well, township.
2: You got to feel like shit if you're going home for, if you're having a big Thanksgiving. If you are doing
0: anything beyond just getting the groceries you need right now and then running back home, you're...
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I mean, but that's brutal, man. I mean, like
0: you're literally jeopardizing people like Bill. Yeah, that's what you're doing. That's it's it's not indirect; it's direct causation. You know? It's
2: terrible. I mean, yeah. that that is I can't. I mean, but think about it. This is a guy who, for you know, over half a year now, has just been trying to save people's lives from this yep. one thing, forget yep. the other patients that are right. in there. And right. they, there's not much they can do once, once people, we, we, we learned that from more mm-hmm. um, on that podcast, but like once people are to a certain point, it's they're kind of just hoping, you know, yep. and it's just like a long, painful, horrible, Death And these yep. people are seeing it like they've never seen it. I mean, that's a nurse who has seen people die, but has just said they've never seen it like this, and is having a horrible effect on them. Right. Um, and then on nurse, top of
0: that, they've got their hospital ugh.
2: conglomerate, you know, with
0: their boot on their necks.
2: So this just, is this crazy. is The whole system is yeah. just so screwed up. Yep. Now, at the time where, where you would think they would just not play hardball. You would think, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, we just shouldn't think anymore. Just yeah, expect the worst. And I find. know. But I'm glad they unionized. That's a smart move. Yeah, that, I mean
0: they're they're on, they're on a path at least. You know, they uh, better do it. You got to yeah. do
2: it. Yeah. If you, yeah. if they're not going to take care of you during COVID, right? You, they'll never take care of you. Oh, right. This is the true colors. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's time for war. That's mm-hmm. what I would say.
0: And this is the interesting thing with the so-called nonprofit.
2: You know, Ugh, it's a nonprofit.
0: Know. Uh, the the CEO makes over. Two and a half million dollars a year, which is yeah. you know you're getting two hundred thousand dollars a month, right? Yeah, it's nice. You know, you know, it's how was I mean, how they get away with the nonprofits that I don't I know. know, but you know, um pay the nurses, pay the nurses is the question. Come on, I mean the answer, pay them, pay them well. Um, all right, so happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, man, happy yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll zoom with you. I'll, I'll, yeah, of we'll course. See you. It's we'll not guys, it's not that hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Matter of fact, a lot of you should be looking at this as a gift. You don't need right. to see your shitty in-laws <laughs> if you don't like them. Stay home. It's one time. Stay at home. Put a turkey in the oven. Order from a restaurant. Yeah. Eat. Yeah. Zoom in. Get nice. drunk if you exactly. can. Yeah, It's not that hard. And, and guess what? Prepare to do that for Christmas, too. <laughs> it's okay. One time. I know. It'll be memorable. Do it for Bill. Exactly. Do, do it, it for, for Bill. Bill.
0: All right. All right, we man. We will see you next week. See
2: you post-Thanksgiving next week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna look a little chubbier at the Thanksgiving because I'm yeah. still. You know what? I may not be with the fan, but I'm still gonna stuff my face. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna gross. overcompensate. with just ate. oh, emotion just emotionally <laughs> eat gain a couple pounds. All right, man. No politics at the dinner table is produced by Almfrakash. Um You can find us on all Mark Zuckerberg sites. Um, you know, we still have t shirts for sale. They're great t shirts. Christmas yep. is coming up. Hanukkah is coming up. Kwanzaa, everything you uh, celebrate. And a lovely t shirt with a good cause where Amit and I make no money, but the money goes to great causes. Um, go on our website, hit us up. We've got plenty of t shirts left. And um, yeah, man, that's it. We'll see you next time. See you next week.
1: I'm